the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God will do the convicting work in their hearts. It's not your business and my business to bring conviction in the heart of another person. That's God's business. You will kill yourself trying to bring about conviction in somebody else. I'm going to force them to feel bad about this. I'm going to do this until they feel sorry. That is not going to help. So when we live our lives in such a way that we honor what God says, it goes far better for us. Don't try to do it the way the world says. Do it the way the Bible says. Do you have people in your life that you're wanting to receive conviction? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he explains to you that conviction belongs to the Lord. Let the Lord do the convicting. You stay true to what God tells you to do and stay true to the way of the Bible. Pastor Gary emphasizes that your job is not to make others feel bad. Your job is to show the love and grace of the Lord. Let His Holy Spirit work through you for His glory. Keep following Him and surrendering your life to Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 12 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. How people treat us over the course of our life shapes us to some degree. What people say, life experiences, all these kind of things, environmental factors, chemical things. A lot of things can shape us. Here's what we need to do. We need to get all that together, okay? We need to give it to Jesus, and we need to say, Jesus, I need my identity to be in you. That's what we need to do. Say, Jesus, I need my identity in you. I need you to show me who I am, and I need you to build me up in my inner in my inner spirit, and I need to have a healthy, sober, right, not grandiose, or not this critical view either of who I am. I just need to know who I am in Christ. I would encourage you, that can be a, a long process, and that's okay, to just constantly be praying and asking the Lord to help shape an understanding, a right, godly, sober perspective of who you are in Christ and allow that new identity in Christ to take root in your life until you really understand who you are in him. And if you've never really made that a matter of prayer, do that. There was a time in my life I needed to get away for a few days and just ask the Lord, Lord, just help me to understand your identity for me. I need to know who I am in Christ. 
and make that a matter of prayer and make that a matter of fasting and make that a matter of Bible study and just say, Lord, I just need to know who I am in Christ. So we need to have this sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And then he talks there in verses four and five about, you know, we're different, but we all are uniquely connected here and interdependent. Though we're different and though each of us is unique, that's the richness and the diversity of the body of Christ. And then he goes on verses six through eight and he lists for us seven different gifts of the spirit. Look at verse six. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, there's a gift. Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So there's a couple of places in the Bible where God lists different spiritual gifts that he gives to people. We usually focus more on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is a list of spiritual gifts. But here are seven that he lists right here. And I'm just going to go through these very quickly. Here's the first three, prophesying. Prophesying is the inspired foretelling or forthtelling of God's word. He talks there also about serving in verse 7, is recognizing practical needs in the body and joyfully giving assistance to meeting those needs. Uh, You know people like this, right? They just have a servant's heart. Whatever they can do to assist you, help you. They're always looking out for others, never really concerned about themselves. They have that gift of serving. There's the gift of teaching, communicating the truths and doctrines of God's word for the purposes of building up, unifying, and maturing the body. And then number four on the list is encouraging, building others up and helping to meet their needs. Don't you love to hang around people who have the gift of encouragement? It's a wonderful thing when people just want to help in any way they can to build others up. The gift of contributing. This is a gift that some people have to just simply be generous. There's nothing wrong with people who don't necessarily feel like that they have some of those perhaps personal skills in terms of a gift from God. They don't really always feel like they're they're encouraging. They may not have the gift of teaching. They may not be able to serve that well. But man, they can stroke a check. Praise God for that. I'm serious. That also is a gift that God has given because just to be generous. My wife has this gift and it's been bleeding me for years. Don't show up at my house. If you show up at my house selling anything, she'll be there. I want to give. I just want to help this person. Honey, they're selling brooms. We don't need another broom. I just want to help them. So my wife has a real gift of generosity, and that's just her. And so we balance each other out. Number six, leadership. Leadership, motivating people to work together in unity toward common goals. And then the gift of mercy, showing compassion to empathizing. But those are the gifts. Now, look on to verse nine here, because now now he's going to shift here, and he's going to talk specifically about, and this is an important category, our response responsibility towards others. And he's going to give us a list here from verses 9 through the end of the chapter, verse 21, of these really poignant, straight-shooting instructions here. And so there are various instructions here. I just kind of pulled out eight. You could pull out more if you want, but as it relates specifically to how we should treat one another, our responsibility toward others. And so look at verse 9. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling 
to what is good. So the first one that I put down is to love one another sincerely. That's the first thing he says here. Love must be sincere. I love the, the etymology of the word sincere because it comes from two Latin words, sine cara. Sine means without, cara meaning wax. And why would the word mean without wax? Because back in the Roman times, when Latin was the dominant language, they would sometimes chisel these statues out of marble, beautiful statues, and once in a while with the chisel, they'd make a mistake. And as they're chiseling the statue of Caesar Augustus, and then, whoops, off goes his nose with the chisel. So what they would do is they would take wax, and they would form it on the nose, and they would reconstruct it with wax, to make the statue look complete. You'd buy that statue, and you'd get it home, you'd put it out in your front window, and then the afternoon sun would hit it, and Caesar Augustus's nose would go off the side of his face. And you'd be like, I was taken. The wax one is hypocrisy. It's not even real. And so our love is to be without hypocrisy, without wax. It is to be sincere. It's not to be this pretend thing, this fake thing. It is just put in place. It is to be sincere without wax. That's the way our love is to be. And notice he says, hate what is evil. Please notice the word what, not who. We are not to hate people who do evil things. We are to hate evil. We are to love people. We are to hate evil. But in saying that, it means we have to get a clear understanding of what is good and what is evil. And where do we get our understanding of what is good and what is evil? We get it from the word of God. This is another way, friends, the world wants to shape you into its image because it wants to define for you what is right and what is wrong. The world wants to tell you what is good and what is evil, and it is always changing. It is always changing. I mean, you can look back a generation ago, and some of the terms have been completely redefined in our culture today. Okay, so we have to make sure that we understand what is good and what is evil based on what God says is good and evil. And his standard does not change, though our culture might. We still have to be beacons of truth and light in a dark world. And there's a warning in Isaiah 5 about inverting good and evil. It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We're living in a day that we have to be very careful. Hate what is evil, not who is evil. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Cling to it. Verse 10, there's two here. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Please note that, above yourselves. We have this selfish inclination. Every single one of us is more concerned usually about self than others. And so he's telling us here we have to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We have to honor one another above ourselves. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor Serving the Lord. In this good, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Verse 12, he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope. Now that one is easier than the next. Be patient in affliction. I can be joyful in hope all day long. My problem is I'm not all that patient when things are afflicting me and faithful in prayer. Now, sometimes the affliction motivates me to be more faithful in prayer. But to be patient in affliction, bad times are not an excuse for bad living. Bad times are not an excuse for bad living. We can have compassion for one another who are going through difficulties, 
If I go through a bad time, it's not an excuse for me to just start letting my life fall apart and live however I want to live. Life's not working out the way I thought and all these afflictions and these things are happening. And so now I'm just going to live however I want. No, no, no. Be patient in affliction. There's this scene in 1 Kings chapter 20 when Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, which is Syria, was coming against Ahab, the king of Israel. And Israel had had initial victory over the Syrians because the Israelites were fighting in the mountains and in the hills. And so Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, said, the only reason why the Israelites were successful in battle is because their God is the God of the hills. That isn't true. I mean, yes, he's the God of the hills. But to say, well, the only reason that they had victory is because they had an advantage on the mountains. That's the victory. And so, no, what it says in 1 Kings 20 is God is not only a God of the mountains. He is also a God of the valleys. And when you are going through something that is afflicting and personally troubling and distressing to you, please remember, God is not just the God of the hills. He's also the God of the valleys. And if you are patient, He will meet you there in the valleys and he will love you and he will encourage you and he will help you. Don't bail on God. When you're in the valleys, he is there as well. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is not only the God of the mountains. He is the God of the valleys. What did David say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. God will never leave us nor forsake us. And if you are in a valley right now, I encourage you, don't bail. Be patient in affliction, and God will show himself strong to you. Next verse, verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's number four on our list. Share with one another. But that also requires us to look around and notice people who are in need. We have to have eyes that are sensitive to the needs around us and to look for those who might be in need, and to practice hospitality. And i got to tell you, I'm so blessed because I hear from time to time stories, and I think to myself, for every one good story I hear, there's probably another four or five I don't even hear about. But, you know, when I hear about things, I heard from a man whose wife is going through cancer treatments, and he said to me, he said, our group put together a schedule to bring over a bunch of meals to our house to help us through the time that my wife's getting treatment. When I hear stories like that, it makes me... As a pastor here at Cornerstone, just so thankful for you, and my heart is just full of love for you who look out for other people's needs, and you share your hospitality. This one is not very easy. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. It's number five on the list. Bless one another. That word bless in the Greek, eulogio, is a combination of two words, eu on the front, means well. Logeo means to speak. Eulogio means to speak well. So when it says bless those who persecute, and by the way, the word persecute is the Greek word dioko, meaning to cause suffering. It's a very broad word. So it doesn't just, you know, mean somebody who's attacking you. It can mean anybody who's causing you grief of some kind. Bless them. Literally speak well of them. Bless and do not curse. Eulogio. It's where we get our English word eulogy. You know when you hear a eulogy at a funeral, somebody is speaking well of them? So when somebody is persecuting you, mistreating you, accusing you, causing you any kind of grief, you speak well of them. Didn't your mama teach you this? If you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. 
right? I heard somebody once say this. It has saved me a lot of grief in my life. Pray it, don't say it. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. It's number six on the list. Be empathetic with one another. When somebody is rejoicing about something, you rejoice with them. And when someone is brokenhearted about something, you grieve with them. That's the body of Christ, friends. When somebody's hurting, you hurt with them. When they rejoice, you rejoice. Again, the comparison with the physical body, you know how if you're swinging a hammer and you hit your thumb, your whole body hurts. It's centralized in your thumb, but the whole of you is feeling it, right? And so in the body of Christ, when somebody's going through a difficult time, you empathize with them, hurt with them. By the way, don't try to solve everything. And don't always pretend that you know what they're going through because sometimes we don't. Sometimes you can. You've been through what they've been through. But otherwise, if you haven't been through what they've been through, say it like that. I haven't been through what you're going through, but nevertheless, I just want you to know I love you. And if there's any way I can pray for you and help you, I'm here. I mean, to be like that for the body of Christ. And again, rejoice when people are rejoicing too. Share in the joys. Cry when people cry. Be empathetic. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. It's number seven on the list. Live in harmony with one another. We understand musical harmony, don't we? When two or three or four people are singing together, if you want to strike musical harmony, you can't all be singing the same notes. Somebody's singing the melody line, and then someone else is singing above or below. And it brings beautiful harmony to your ears. Okay, so living in harmony with one another doesn't mean we have to all be the same. We're not, we're not necessarily singing all the same note. Some are singing above, some are singing below. But it blends beautifully and complements beautifully to bring harmony. So we're not all the same in the body of Christ, but we work together in a harmonious way to complement each other. Verse 17 through 19. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So these last few verses, I think, can be summarized. Point number eight, be at peace with one another. Because he speaks here about not repaying evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't seek revenge. Okay, This all speaks to every single one of us. If you've ever been hurt, betrayed, or wronged by somebody, you know exactly what he's talking about here. Do not pay back evil for evil. I remember years ago, it wasn't like I sat around and watched Oprah all day, but I do remember watching one particular show of Oprah when she was still on the air about cheating spouses was the theme of the show. And they had these women on whose husbands had cheated on them, and they were talking about how they dealt with it. I'll never forget this one woman who said, I dealt with it by when I found out 
I completely trashed my husband's closet. He had these thousand dollar Armani suits hanging up and like a whole string of them. And she says, I just went with scissors and I cut the sleeves of every single one of his Armani suits. And everybody's laughing and she, oh, that's great. Isn't that funny? Everybody thought it was hilarious. And she's like, woo, woo. And they're high fiving. When I listened to that, I thought, okay, you know what, lady, that made you feel happy for five minutes. That cannot heal the hurt that you feel. You went to bed that night. You cut off a bunch of this suit sleeves. Big deal. You're still hurting because of what he did. Trying to get even or trying to do something to hurt somebody and get them back will never heal the hurt in you. Only Jesus can do that. And forgiving what they've done, which is only going to be the disposition if you know Christ. Because if somebody doesn't know Christ, they're not going to know how to even begin to forgive somebody. And by the way, that's not an easy thing either. It says forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And that's a process sometimes. It's not just a one and done thing and now it's over and I have no more hurt feelings. Because forgiveness is a process and hurt feelings can go on for a while. But every time it pokes its head up, you continue to just give it to the Lord. Lord, here's my hurt. Here's my betrayal. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's all of this. I don't want to try to medicate this by getting even. I I want to be healed because of the healing bond that only you can give. Don't repay evil for evil. That's what the world does. Again, don't let it squeeze you into its image. The world will tell you, get even. You have your rights. Pay back. That's what the world teaches. You know what the Bible teaches? Forgive, love, pray for them. Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Listen, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's not easy. I'm not saying that this is easy, but I'm saying this is what we are to do if we really want to effectively be helped and healed in our hearts. Somebody wrongs you, and this is the beauty also to this passage. You can't control the other person. So that's why he says there in verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with all people. There's going to be some people who don't want peace with you. There's going to be some people who don't want to hear what you have to say. There's going to be some people who know what they did against you and they don't care. You cannot have your peace dependent on their response. Your peace is dependent on God's work in your heart. You can't be waiting. Well, if they say they're sorry, then I'll get over this. Friends, they may never say they're sorry. Or worse, I've counseled and prayed with people who was wronged by someone and the person who wronged them is now dead. You can't even go back and have closure. What are we to do? In all these situations, folks, we just kind of wrap it up in this big basket and we just say, Lord, this is all this junk and I just give it to you and I pray that you would heal my heart. I don't want to get revenge. I don't want to pay back. I just want to be healed and I want you to help me and I just call upon you. That's what it's about. And he says here, and this is a curious part here. Verse 20 says, on the contrary, he says, do something that is not normal, doesn't come naturally. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, there's been a lot of discussion. You read different Bible commentaries. What exactly does that mean? It's actually taken from the book of Proverbs. Here's basically what it means. In a sentence, kill him with kindness. Kill him with kindness. Somebody's wronged you. You don't repay evil. You treat them kindly. If your enemy's hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, when you repay their wrong with the love and grace of Christ, then God will heap burning coals 
on their head. What does that mean? It means God will bring about burning conviction. God will do the convicting work in their hearts. It's not your business and my business to bring conviction in the heart of another person. That's God's business. You will kill yourself trying to bring about conviction in somebody else. I'm going to force them to feel bad about this. I'm going to do this until they feel sorry. That is not going to help. So when we live our lives in such a way that we honor what God says, it goes far better for us. Don't try to do it the way the world says. Do it the way the Bible says. Amen. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of Romans. Isn't Paul's faith inspiring? Did you know you can download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you? wherever you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word right at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you in person, too, at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m., Or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to shake your hand and answer any questions you may have about the study, about Cornerstone Chapel, or about how you can have a relationship with God. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can listen to additional teachings from this study or read accompanying resources on our site as well. Just look under the Teachings tab. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the Book of Romans right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.